This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out with us on another great day. We're almost done with the week, everyone. It's almost it is the true. weekend. Yep, we always say that. Surprise, surprise. Thursday, then Friday, then it's the weekend. Well, next week's pretty special, right? Because don't we start our new official hours? Uh, yes, we had to push that this week because you're doing a very big special for Channel Q. You're just so busy, Ryan. I can't keep up with you. <laughs> I can't talk about it right now, but something's happening at the end of the week. I mean, yes. not the end of the week. Uh, this week, but like at the end of the month. Yeah. Anyway, we yes, we will be here longer hours on Channel Q, uh, bringing you everything you need, including our sass and fun and smartness. Right. I don't even know what that means. I don't either. It wasn't really even a sentence. Coming up, the HRC Human Rights Campaign is joining us at 530 Pacific, 630 Eastern to share more about this year's State Equality Index and to let you know where your state stands uh, because there are some states that are not being compassionate. Just saying. Yeah. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. President Biden went off on Trump today about the vaccine program, and he just gave us the real. We still have a long way to go. It's no secret that the vaccination program was in much worse shape than my team and I anticipated. We were under the impression and been told that we had a lot more resources than we did we came into office. We've only been here three weeks, but we've learned a great deal in those three weeks. While scientists did their job in discovering vaccines in record time, my predecessor, be very blunt about it, did not do his job in getting ready for the massive challenge of vaccinating hundreds of millions of Americans. He didn't order enough vaccines. He didn't mobilize enough people to administer the shots. He didn't set up the federal vaccine centers where eligible people could go and get their shots. I mean, this isn't surprising. And uh, yeah, he was just given a lot of work <laughs> once again. And I wonder what Trump supporters and the Republicans think about this as this whole trial is happening. And as we're looking at what Trump uh didn't do while he was in office. Uh, but Biden did as add this just this afternoon. We signed final contracts for 100 million more Moderna and 100 million more Pfizer vaccines. So it is coming. And we've got some more news uh, coming from Dr. Anthony Fauci um, in just a bit on another What's Trending this hour. I mean, it must be a good day to be someone in the pharmaceutical like industry, <laughs> like the vaccine medicine The vaccine industry. industry. Yeah. 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 Now, President Biden also today terminated former President Donald Trump's two-year-old declaration of a national emergency at the U.S.-Mexico border and stopped the flow of government funds towards the construction of the border wall. 
but roughly 3,600 troops deployed to the border won't be coming home anytime soon, according to the Pentagon. Uh, in a letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and VP Kamala Harris, uh, Biden called the order by his predecessor unwarranted, unwarranted, but also announced the government funds would no longer be diverted towards construction of the wall, saying they're going to be directed to a careful review of all resources appropriated or redirected to that end. Those troops will continue providing support to the Department of Homeland Security and Customs and Border Protection in the form of surveillance, maintenance, logistics, and transportation until September. And finally, Arkansas Senate, they passed a bill to allow pharmacists and nursing home staff to turn away LGBTQ patients. The bill that they listed protects healthcare professionals, including doctors and nurses, and any individual who furnishes or assists in the provision of healthcare service. Employers could demand their health insurance refuse to provide LGBTQ healthcare. And of course, Lambda Legal will be fighting this one too. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? So why is Cancel Disney Plus trending right now? It's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So actress Gina Carino, I believe is how you say her last name. She's a former MMA fighter, um, but she's known for her role on The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. And guess what? She's been fired after she on social media. She posted this on her IG story comparing being a Republican to being Jew- to being Jewish in Nazi Germany. Like literally she posted this like reposted this um this not even a meme but this like conspiracy theory and, and this uh, comparison that just offended so many people. Um but here's the thing, her firing by Lucasfilms provoked a huge outrage among those who said it was a yet another example of cancel culture. So the internet decided to make a hashtag cancel Disney plus trend on social media as fans decided to give the streaming service a dose of their own medicine. Now, I don't see how this is cancel culture. If you're literally going to be, uh, you know, like a base, a weird kind of, not a Holocaust denier, but like you're going to conflate situations and compare things that are not true and play on to these conspiracies because she's done this before. She's posted about mocking mass. She's questioned the election results and she's Hmm. used beep, bop and boop instead of trans supportive pronouns. So it feels like this was like, she should have lost her job. Uh, yeah. Yeah. At what point is it not just cancel culture, but it's also that you're not a good person and it's not appropriate and there won't be any tolerance for it. Yeah, I think uh, conservatives are really using that. And and oftentimes I read this tweet, a friend of mine said that they literally saying woke is kind of has the same power of like calling like some someone like an N word or something, because it feels like when they're talking about woke liberals or woke people, mm-hmm. they're normally it's like a way to kind of like suppress their racism and not say what they really want to say or suppress their their, you know, terrible conspiracy theories that they're trying to fuel and wrap it up in oh my god you can't be a conservative without cancel culture it's just ridiculous <laughs> all right y'all we also have a fun giveaway that we're doing with the artist max head over to weirdchannelq.com for your chance to win a pair of passes to his little virtual color experience on a uh, pay-per-view and of course some meet uh, vip meet and greet passes so go to weirdchannelq.com and that's it for me Uh, Now coming up, great news today. For the first time, the U.S. will enforce housing discrimination protections for LGBTQ plus Americans. Lambda Legal joins us for that next. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. For the first time, this is a big day. LGBTQ Americans will be protected under the Fair Housing Act. The Department of Housing and Urban Development announced all of that today, said they are enforcing the FHA to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And it's a new move that will extend civil rights protections to millions of LGBTQ plus Americans, early as queen in a way. Mm-hmm. And joining us right now is uh, an attorney who actually worked on some of these cases, Omar Gonzalez Pagan from Lambda Legal. Thanks for being here again. Thank you for having me. It's an exciting day today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess tell us more a bit about the background of this and how long it took to get here and why this is such an important day. Absolutely. And I think what's important to note is actually LGBTQ Americans, LGBTQ people in our country have been protected under the Fair Housing Act for since it got passed. And in fact, those were the arguments that we were making before in our cases. And we had won the uh, the only two cases that had been won on behalf of LGBTQ people we had brought under the Fair Housing Act, and that was decided by the courts in 2017, where we represented the Smith family, a lesbian couple, one of whom was um, transgender woman, who were denied housing and were told in the email that they were being denied housing um, because of their uniqueness and how they would be perceived in the community. And that the landlord didn't want to attract attention to herself by renting out to their unique family. And so them and their kids, we represented and got that victory back in 2017 in Colorado. We represented Marcia Wetzel, a senior lesbian who was receiving endless tenant on tenant harassment. So other people who were living in her facility that she continued to report to the assisted living facility and they ignored. And that was a huge victory and the court there on under the theory that sexual orientation also is covered under the Fair Housing Act, uh, decided that. But since then, we hadn't seen HUD take this affirmative step to explicitly say sexual orientation and gender identity are covered and we will actually enforce the law that way. They had taken smaller steps with regards to gender identity, but hadn't gotten there yet. And thanks to this decision from Bostock last year, um, this is what will be one of hopefully many ramifications from that decision, where all of these federal agencies across the country will now enforce any law that prohibits sex discrimination as covering um, LGBTQ people. Yeah, it's really exciting news. I I have to say, um, reading this, it it gives me like, oh, we're we're seeing kind of the light at the end of the tunnel here. But I I know that now that these rules apply, that doesn't mean discrimination just goes away. So how can one kind of prove that they're being discriminated now that people know that these rules are so there's going to be other ways for them to figure out how to discriminate without necessarily being like i don't like you because you're trans i don't like you because you're queer so what does that look like in terms of proving that if you feel like that's what's going on absolutely that's a that goes to the heart of the question right lived equality is not the same as legal equality right and and uh housing discrimination in general not just with regards to LGBTQ people, is notoriously difficult to study and document. You will not just, you just won't get your inquiry about an apartment responded to. They may show it to you and then just go with another applicant and you won't know why. Mm -hmm. And so there are many studies that have been done with like blind testing and the like, including studies that were funded under the Obama administration by HUD 
that documented the dis the disproportionate and um, discrimination that same-sex couples face, LGBTQ people in general face when trying to obtain housing. I think the announcement today by HUD is important for a number of reasons. First, it puts protections in place for people that live in states that don't explicitly prohibit um, discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or, or gender identity. So that's incredibly important for anybody who lives in, say, Texas, for example. Um, it Mississippi, Alabama. And it also allows the federal government in ordering all of the apparatus of HUD, including its Fair Housing and Equal Opportunity Office, to investigate and enforce and apply the law in this way to actually see if there are patterns or practices with particular property owners, particular um, real estate uh, providers in, in the country based on complaints that they receive. And people should know that they can go to this office, the Fair Housing and Equal Opportunity Office of HUD to report any suspected discrimination that they will investigate it and document it. Well, Omar Gonzalez Pagan from uh, Lambda Legal, thank you so much for being here and for the work that you're doing. And we're uh, one step or many steps forward in all of this so that people don't have to deal with this and live their lives like this. Absolutely. Housing is a human right. There you go. Uh, thank you again for being here. Thank now, you. Coming up on the show, the latest from Trump's impeachment trial, what Democrats did differently today to make their case. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. House managers said today that if senators do not convict Donald Trump and prevent him from running for office again, the former president could incite more violence in the future. And this argument comes on the third day of the impeachment trial. Democrats have again charged Trump with incitement of insurrection for his role in the January 6th violent takeover of the Capitol. Natalie Jennings is back with us, editor of The Fix for The Washington Post. Welcome back, Natalie. Thanks for having me. Now, the past few days, we've seen all these videos and stories. There have been lots of emotional moments. So what have we seen today? Has that continued? It continued a little bit today, but today was more about connecting President Trump to being the root of these scenes that we saw. Um, talking about not just his rhetoric on January 6th, you know, he gave that big speech at the White House this mor that morning, but also a little bit about what he said in the months prior to this, setting up to undermine any election result that was not in his favor. And, um, you know, calling that fraudulent and calling for consequences of something that had not yet happened. And that thread continued on through the events of January 6th. So we saw highlighting that the Democrats made sort of the last couple of hours of their case and they just wrapped that up. Um, also, beyond connecting the dots to Trump, they were trying to s explicitly lay out the consequences of not punishing Trump. This is the forum for punishing Trump. There's not really a, a clear criminal case to make against him in the future if this doesn't happen. This is the remedy for presidents. And they set forward, you know, the possibility that Trump could um, either run again, maybe not, maybe when, maybe not, but could again foment um, distrust in the election system. And that is a consequence that they tried to say that, you know, if you don't convict, that will be on you. Because if you don't convict, you can't remove him from office. Right. Obviously, you can't remove him from office, but you also can't bar him from running for office again. Talk to us a little bit about Trump's lawyers, because I heard and I saw a little bit of his like his whole entire thing. But a lot of people was just like, who is this guy and where did they pluck him from? 
His whole entire thing was a, was a it was a thing. Yeah, that's it. That's all I could Tuesday. describe it as. <laughs> yeah. So so what happened Tuesday was um, there was a procedural sort of a setup day for the two sides to make their case. And we heard from President Trump's lawyers whom argued that it was not constitutional to even have this trial. And and one of them did it in such a confusing way that it agitated even the Republican senators who were watching it. Presentation was so bad, apparently. Uh, Donald Trump was very displeased with Bruce Castor, this uh, lawyer who by the way, came on just kind of in the last weekend, I think, before the trial started, because another team of lawyers had been dismissed. So he showed up. um, And tomorrow is the day for Trump's lawyers to come back. So we've now had two days where we didn't hear from them at all. Tomorrow, they're scheduled to come back. And we don't know if we'll see much from Castor versus um, Mr. Schoen. I think it's David Schoen. Um, They are going to continue through it. um, But I don't know how much we'll see of Castor. Uh, of the famously uh, maligned performance versus the other two attorneys. The thing to remember, though, is they can present a pretty shoddy case and uh, keep the status quo, and they'll be just fine and accomplish their goal here. Uh, The goal is to have 17 senators, not have 17 senators willing to convict Trump, and as of now, they don't seem likely to, uh, but they do need to, you know, give them a little something to go on. So the task isn't very tall. uh, Yeah. It's really visible. Again, you're hearing from Natalie Jennings, editor of The Fix of The Washington Post. Well, yeah, that said, it seems like one of the arguments that was emphasized today was the fact that this is all being done because of fear that Trump will run in 2024. I mean, it just seems like they're pulling these arguments out of their behind. Well, it it kind of is the only consequence that is real right now. Trump's out of office, so impeachment can't remove him from office. Uh, There's no criminal penalty that goes along with this. The other consequence is barring him from running for office again, which we don't even know if he wants to do. Uh, But the question is, do Republicans want to take that chance um, or be willing to, you know, be the ones who did not prevent that from happening? Are we thinking, you know, President Biden might get involved somehow anytime soon? Or is he trying to stay out of it? And what is he working on during this time? Trying desperately, I would say, to stay out of it. Um, His press secretary the other day said, um, you know, she's asked about this regularly. Biden is asked about this when given the opportunity for reporters to ask him. And they punt it, say, you know, this is the job of the Senate. Technically, yes, that's true. Obviously, um, it's not logical to think that he's not paying any attention to it, but he is trying to uh, show that he's doing his day job. Uh, His press secretary the other day, I thought, interestingly said um, that he was elected uh, in reaction to someone who was a political commentator and who followed political news and comment. Wow. Zinger. um, Yeah. There you go. That that was memorable. Yeah. Uh, Well, Natalie Jennings, always a pleasure to have you. Natalie is an editor of The Fix for The Washington Post. Have a great night. Thank you. Coming up on the show, we've all heard about the Gorilla Glue girl, but does she really deserve our empathy? And we've got a little surprise for you next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. So we've actually somewhat avoided this story. We have yet to cover the Gorilla Glue woman story. (laughs) But alas, it is the time here on Let's Go There. So she's known as Gorilla Glue Lady. Like, what is the official title? Gorilla Glue Girl. Gorilla Glue They couldn't even call her a woman or lady. Come on. She deserves better. Yeah, I think it just happened because when, when Black Twitter saw it, that's what we were calling her. Got it. So her name is Tessica Brown. She actually does have a name. 
Uh, and this is the video on TikTok that got shared where she showed her hair after putting Gorilla Glue on it. And uh, that went viral. And she's since become uh, a sensation of sorts. Bad idea. Yo, look. My hair, it don't move. You hear what I'm telling you? It don't move. I've washed my hair 15 times. And it don't move. So that was a month ago, uh, but there are some updates. Recently, she went through a, su a surgery, a procedure to basically salvage what remains of her hair and finally brought this all to an end. Uh, TMZ called it all on camera. I mean, she basically at this point, because of all this, has almost a million followers on Twitter. The announcement of the fact that she went through this uh, procedure has like 100,000 likes on Instagram. She is officially a celebrity because of all of this, Ryan. Okay, I'm so conflicted by this story because one, she's visibly in pain. She's oh, been yeah. going through a lot. This is probably a traumatic experience. But on the other hand, I think about like, you're allowed to have empathy for someone, but also don't forget, like this was a stupid decision. Like this was a, a really, really dumb mistake that feels like, why? Like, why would you ever in your life do something like this? So it does give me, um, it's hard for me to feel complete empathy for her because it's just like, well, when you do dumb things, this is what happens. You've never done something dumb or like not dumb, but mistaken something for something else. And you're like, oops, probably shouldn't have done that. See, that's the thing. I, I don't think like non-folks of color will understand, right? I think she... Was Explain thinking to me. that I want to a piece, well, she was doing her hair, which is natural and what she does, but there's a process. She was using another product. And so she was like, oh, I'm out of this product. So I'm going to substitute said product for something else because she thinks that, oh, it has the same effect and it can do the same thing. And she was just like, oh, this might work instead of actually like reading and understanding, oh, this is meant for furniture, not for my skin. And so I think, yes, there's mistakes that can be made like, oh, people ain't thinking, but thinking that something's going to replace what you naturally use just feels like no way. You can't be mad at something for doing the job that it was supposed to do. And my thing is, she's gained so much fame and notoriety. She's like, one, she's gotten, she has a GoFundMe. She has $20,000 sitting there that it's meant to be for wigs or for whatever the future holds for her. Um, she just got all of the glue, the latest update, she just got all the glue out of her hair, thanks to yeah. a, a black doctor out here in Beverly Hills who came up with some formula that figured it all out. And so like, I'm happy she can move past this, um, but it is just wild that everyone kind of rallied behind her and then the think pieces about this it's just really frustrating hey, i don't know i don't know and this this gets worse ryan so there was someone else that decided to challenge this to prove that the viral video uh was i guess real this guy a louisiana guy he was i guess seen on the uh the dr oz show in 2020 discussing his experience engaging in the ice cream challenge so this is a, someone who basically decides to take on really dumb challenges and try them for himself len martin so he now is stuck i guess in a a bad situation right now and he caught it all on camera I so don't please don't care. try this at home i do not even care uh, coming up next, is your state LGBTQ friendly? HRC just released their annual report and the results might surprise you. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q.
Coming up on the show, is your home state LGBTQ plus friendly? Well, coming up at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern, we have HRC joining us for that and to talk about this new report that just came out. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. On the Today Show, the chief medical advisor, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, provided updates on the COVID-19 vaccines, saying that he predicted April to be when anyone from any category could start to get the vaccine, or basically what he's saying is it's open season. I would imagine by the time we get to April, that will be what I would call for, you know, for better wording, open season, namely virtually everybody and anybody in any category could start to get vaccinated. Okay, April, we'll see what happens. And I feel like they've been pretty much on the ball with and being honest with this because it was hard to predict with the last administration because it seemed like nothing was organized. But they're being very clear about when everything is going to happen. Well, there yeah, will be hiccups. Biden has a plan and he's already making sure that's happening with the amounts of vaccines they've already bought. We just talked about it. So I think it's mm-hmm. clean. It's a, it, when you have that puzzle piece, it, all the other puzzle pieces come together. Yep. Let's move on to Street Bumble. Uh, they, of course, operate the dating app under the same name. They began trading today. This was really big news, and their stock soared. They compete against companies like Match Group, which owns apps like Hinge, Tinder, and OkCupid. And why this was such a big deal is because CEO Whitney Wolfherd is a woman, and she basically is one of the youngest female founders to take a U.S. company public. She also joins the ranks of an extremely smallest of women founders who led IPOs, including Stitch Fix's Katrina Lake, who took her company public in 2017, and Julie Wainwright, who took the real real public in 2019. And listen to this. Her stake in Bumble is now worth $1.5 billion. She's only 31 years old. That makes her one of the youngest self-made female billionaires ever. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is intense. Yeah. She also made news ringing the NASDAQ bell with her son on her hip. So, so many firsts and so many groundbreaking moves here that a lot of people are taking note of today. So congrats to her. It's pretty awesome. Now let's move on to uh, this QAnon believers. They are embracing a new conspiracy theory that the coronavirus vaccine, quote, increases the probability of them identifying as homosexual or transgender at a later stage. This is crazy, but this is being shared right now. Reporter Cheyenne Sardarizadeh tweeted a series of screenshots from Telegram, which is a far-right social media platform. This is, all right, so the site said it's a far-right social media platform. It's not really a lot of far right are on there, but a lot of people are now using it instead of um, WhatsApp, by the way. But it, it appears to show gullible Trump supporters promoting this claim. One screenshot contains a list of questions posted by one user that gets increasingly dumb as it continues. Uh, they said things like, at what rate would a child randomly receive the vaccinations to where the 50-50 split resulted in them receiving the opposite gender vaccine? And I have many homosexual friends that have said they have known they were different since they were little kids. They say they were born this way and it wasn't their choice. So they're blaming vaccines on it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. So 
What is up with all these scams? First, Bruno Mars, now Kevin Hart. It's time for your tea report those pop culture stories trending right now. Now, this story is a little crazy. Kevin Hart's personal shopper was literally arraigned in New York Wednesday today. Uh, well, no, that was yesterday. On charges including grand larceny, this guy was allegedly using Kevin's credit cards to fund his lavish lifestyle. Do you want to know how much he stole? Yeah. Oh my God. Of the alleged charges total close to $1.2 million <laughs> over the course of two years. He's back in court on February 17th and faces up to 25 years in prison. He was like buying Louis Vuitton bags. He was even buying like some really super bougie art pieces. Like it was weird. <laughs> it was really weird the stuff that he was buying, but now he's about uh -huh. to be locked up. How does someone like this think they're going to get away with this? Like, well, they'll never be discovered. Well, you, well, I think it's, oh, well, Kevin Hart has so much money. He probably doesn't even manage his own finances. But guess what? Yes, 1. people 2 for million. that. I think people will realize that there's one million gone. It's not like $20,000. Yeah, I mean, I got other crazy stories coming up in the T-Report. Don't y'all go anywhere. Okay, now, coming up on the show, uh, we are going to be talking about HRC's latest report. Is your home state LGBTQ plus friendly? Well, the HRC is joining us right after this to tell you those answers next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. During Black History Month, the National AIDS Memorial is honoring Black lives lost to AIDS with a specially curated selection of 56 blocks of the AIDS Memorial quilt. And it's also a virtual exhibit honoring Black lives. Uh, and it's so incredible what they're doing. We're so excited to have Lonnie Payne, who's the National AIDS Memorial Board member, joining us right now to tell us all about this and the history behind it. Thanks for being here. Sure, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me and having our organization. Yeah, of course. So tell us about this virtual exhibit and what people can find when they go to AIDSmemorial.org this month. Sure. So basically, um, in honor of um, Black History Month, um, the National AIDS Memorial um, has as one of our programs um, the AIDS quilt. And we thought since because of COVID, people can't come out and visually see the quilt. Um, that we would curate a virtual showing. And this would be with nothing but Black people. So we have 56 panels, and our panels really is our way of saying that we have a 12-foot by 12-foot selection, eight panels on each of the, the blocks. So you say 56 blocks, that's over 400, 448 um, stories that are being told wow. um, on in this curated exhibit. You can do it online, um, as you mentioned earlier, by just um, going to our website, AIDSmemorial.org. And when you go to the website, um, you will see, of course, there's uh, information about the uh, curated exhibit. But what's really important to me to talk about is the fact that um, we have seven different blocks, and each one of those blocks represents a different example of who's been impacted by AIDS what black people have been impacted by AIDS in the United States. So uh, one panel might deal with children. One panel might deal with women. I'm sorry, not panel, blocks. Um, you would have a, a block that deals with celebrities, actors, 
um, sports figures, young people, and um, gay people. So it runs the gamut of all of those in our community who have been impacted by AIDS. One, I just get so much, like so many chills because I think we often talk about, you know, especially me being 27, there's a, and in my age frame, there feels like there's a lack of history, a lack of knowledge mm -hmm. when it comes to the people who came before us. Is uh, What was important about telling those stories? So, was it about legacy and keeping those stories alive? Yes, that's that's true. One of the biggest uh, reasons I like to talk about remembrance. Uh, when we lose someone, you want to have a place of remembrance. And in the black community and a lot of other communities, um, sometimes um, AIDS was something you didn't want to talk about. It was people were ashamed about it made people uncomfortable to share stories. So you might have a family that lost a member to um, AIDS, but they never said that their family member died of AIDS. And myself, my, my son died of cancer or my, my, my daughter died from whatever. Um, and by having um, this curated exhibit, we get to share people's stories. For example, in the, the first grouping, it deals with children. And if you go to the, um, the, the, the first block, you can also see there's certain things that have um, links. For example, you can see a letter that a mother wrote about her 10-year-old child. And in her mother's voice, and this is like back in the 90s, but boy, is that poignant to hear a woman wanting to share with the world who her child was. Reminds me, I, I, I'm, I, I'm a little bit older than the two of you, but I remember in the 70s, well, the 80s and 90s, of writing obituaries for my friends and family members who died of AIDS. And so this is another way of sharing their stories, telling yeah. the world who these people were. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, Lonnie Payne, again, from the National AIDS Memorial. Just give us a little history of these quilts so people understand sure. the significance as well. Quilts started in the late 70s. There was... Uh, a group of people in the Castro in San Francisco who were losing so many of their loved ones to AIDS. And uh, one of the founders, Clee Jones, decided to get some people in this home and they started making these three foot by six foot panels that talked about the life of a friend. If someone was noted for wearing funky sneakers, they might put those funky sneakers on the panel and have the person's name and their dates. If the person was known for maybe having teddy bears, you might have... It, any type of thing that reminded someone of the personality of their person. Um, so this mushroomed, started, like I said, in the Castro, um, mushroomed to the, um, the 1980s where there was a showing of, the, of people who had been making all of these panels in Washington, D.C. On, on the uh, memorial area. And there were more than 48,000 panels. Think about that, 48,000 panels that were displayed that people would walk through and there was a, di a, a, a glossary that would tell, would tell people where you could find certain individuals that their panels were there. But very moving. And over the years, people kept making and making it, it more and more panels, adding to the collection. So that's how we get such a large moving monument to those we've lost to HIV and AIDS. Well, what a beautiful remembrance and to do it virtually so everyone can experience it during these times. Uh, Lonnie Payne, National AIDS Memorial Board member, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. And once again, I invite everyone to come visit the um, ex exhibit on our website, AIDSmemorial.org.
sounds good. Now coming up next, HRC's state equality index is out. Half of the country is still not LGBTQ friendly. Find out if you're living in one of those places next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. For the seventh year in a row, the human rights campaign known as HRC has released its State Equality Index. It details how each state affects LGBTQ people and their families based on laws and policies that either harm or improve the quality of life. A lot of people may assume that their state is friendly, but in reality, 25 states, half of the U.S., actually rated in the lowest category. Yeah. They're in high priority to achieve basic equality. Let's get into this. Uh, Catherine Oakley joins us right now, HRC State Legislative Director and Senior Counsel. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So how was this data collected? How do you make this decision? Which we kind of got into this, but... Yeah, so we have a scorecard that we go through that measures states on all kinds of different laws and policies. And what we're looking at is everything from proactive non-discrimination laws that are prohibiting discrimination against LGBTQ people, all the way down to anti, uh, anti-equality laws that are targeting the LGBTQ community and, and harming them. Um, and it's all kinds of different criteria really across the board. Um, and we at, at HRC and with our partners in state um, through the Equality Federation, um, we are gathering all of this information, making sure that we know about every bill that's passed and on all the changes that are happening every year. Um, many of those bills that are bills that we're working on through our policy work and others of them are bills that are um, that are, are happening without us. And we put it all together into this report um, so that we can help help people who live in these states, but also help legislators understand what the, the laws are, are, in their, are in their states and where are areas that they might want to improve in. Yeah, so seven years ago um, feels like one, not that far ago, but what did there, was there something that happened that was like, oh, we need to make sure that people are seeing our community and respecting that our humanity, right? What, why was that decision seven years ago so important? Well, gosh, I mean, seven years is a really long time at this movement. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you can cast your mind all the way back seven years ago, all sorts of crazy things were happening. Look, I think one of the things that that the SEI reflects, which is really important, is that over the the course of the last several years, there's been tremendous movement on issues of equality in the states. I mean, just tremendous movement, right? I mean... 2015 is when we had marriage equality come through the Supreme Court to the entire country. Um, And that is only just one little slice of the things that we are measuring on the SEI. We're also talking about non-discrimination laws and and parenting laws and youth laws and hate crimes laws, all kinds of different things that impact the LGBTQ community. And in 2015, we had just this incredible influx of anti-LGBTQ legislation that started pouring into the state. And that was very much because with the Supreme Court case, the Obergefell case pending in front of the Supreme Court, even though we knew we had great popular support for marriage equality um, and that the people were actually very comfortable with marriage equality, a lot of the state legislatures felt differently. And Mm. some of the legislators decided that they were going to do whatever they could to try to claw back um, equality. And so... 2015, if you can remember back that far, was the year of the Indiana RIFRA. Um, And that was a huge fight for our community. 
When that didn't work, we had 2016 and HB2 in North Carolina. When that didn't work, we saw our opposition just take one sort of, uh, they were evolving um, to try to see where they could get people, where they could go that people were more afraid than they were understanding. And that's really where, where they've continued to push. And that's part of what the SEI is here to reflect is just how much things do change from year to year. Yeah, again, we're talking to Catherine Oakley, HRC State Legislative Director and Senior Counsel. So what happens when someone finds out their state is good or bad? And, I, and, then, and then we are teasing to the results, by the way. You're not going to get them yet. But yes. No. <laughs> well, I also think it's important to say, too, we're talking about laws and policies. And the LGBTQ community is, as you know very well, not a monolith. Not everybody is going to have the same experience. Just because there's a non-discrimination law doesn't mean discrimination doesn't happen. Exactly. Right? So we know that, and we also know that that members of our community experience discrimination in different ways, depending on the intersections of their various identities. So I do think it's important to say that as we're talking about these, you know, we're talking about the laws and policies. And I believe strongly, and I know many others believe strongly, that the policies and the laws and policies of a state can have a major impact on people's daily lived experience. But I also want to acknowledge that that's not actually the case for everybody. And certainly not every one of these laws is going to impact someone's daily lived experience. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so big on intersectionality because that is literally my experience. How much does that play in to your findings when you're looking. Right. And so we're looking at, at uh, policies that should absolutely be impacting people and, and it through their LGBTQ identities, but also some of their other identities, right? So a non-discrimination law, the laws that we're talking about, they're going to cover discrimination on the basis of multiple protected classes, including race, religion, national origin, and sexual orientation and gender identity. But I do think to very much to your point, right? Like not everybody is going to have the same lived experience. Not everyone in California feels safe and welcomed all the time, even though California is, and I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler for you, does very well. <laughs> okay, well, that that was the perfect tease because right after this, we want to get into those states, the ones that were or are doing well, the ones that aren't, and the surprise ones because there's some that you're like, it what? shouldn't do well, but it is. Yeah. Uh, that is next with HRC State Legislative Director Catherine Oakley. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Catherine Oakley is back with us, HRC State Legislative Director and Senior Counsel, as we talk about HRC's State Equality Index. Is your state on the list? Did they rank high or low? And uh, how are they doing in terms of treating the LGBTQ plus community and policies? Okay, Catherine, let's get into it. I guess let's let's start with the worst. I was gonna say let's start with good news. You know how stressful 2020's oh, been. Okay. Sure. <laughs> 2021 as well. Okay, let's start off with the let's start off with the good news. Who's who's doing the best? Well, so we have 19 states and DC that are in our highest rated category. And our highest rated category is called working toward innovative equality because these are the states that basically they've done all of the things that you would expect, and some of them are trying really exciting new things. Um, Some of the pieces that are reaching people who the other sort of more obvious um, laws aren't reaching. And those states are, again, a little bit of a spoiler here, California, um, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, um, the District of Columbia, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, 
Massachusetts, Minnesota, oh, yeah. Nevada. She's, she's Canada, listing them. New she's... Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington. And it's not shocking about Delaware because that is the state Senate, uh, Senator Sarah um, McBride. Sarah McBride. Yes. yes. And so that's yes. not shocking. That's great. HRC alum and one all around wonderful person, Representative Sarah McBride. Okay. Yes. We love that. Senator Senator McBride. And so I guess uh, let's get into the surprise ones, the ones we thought maybe did worse. I mean, we thought would do worse and were better, or we thought would be better and did worse. Well, I'll tell you about my favorite state. My favorite part of the state equality index this year is that Virginia, which is where I am from, um, did much, much, much better this year than it has ever done before. So Iowa and Virginia were both states that were solidifying equality, which is our second to best category. And Virginia really sort of cracked it open in 2020 in an incredible way. Um, And the reason for that is because of a bill that passed this year that's called the Virginia Values Act, or last year, 2021, the Virginia Values Act, which is a comprehensive non-discrimination bill. It is the first of its kind LGBTQ inclusive non-discrim bill in the South. Wow. And actually, this is one of the coolest things about this. Virginia's existing non-discrimination law was actually sort of thin. It didn't really do a whole lot for any of the people who are protected by it. And the Virginia Values Act was transformational for people in no, in all protected classes. So it extended employment non-discrimination protections um, across the board. Um, it extended uh, housing protections for LGBTQ people. And it created, for the first time, non-discrimination protections in places of public accommodation wow. in the Commonwealth. They did not exist at all. And the employment protections were pretty scanty too. So this is all, it's it's new and better for everybody. Um, brand new protections on the basis of religion, brand new protections on the basis of race, and of course also brand new protections on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. So I'm guessing the worst ones are what? In the Bible Belt? Because that's where I'm from. I'm from Nashville. That's right there smack dab <laughs> Bible Belt. All right. Basically, is that is that good to assume? Tennessee can be a bit of a problem. <laughs> it can be a bit of you a think? problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the the legislation there, um, just about every year, the state group calls it the slate of hate, the Tennessee wonderful Tennessee Equality Project. Um, every year, there's a new slate of hate where the state legislature unveils a new list of anti-LGBTQ, often anti-transgender, often anti-transgender youth wow. legislation in Tennessee. So yes, um, a lot of the states that we're talking about in our lowest category, um, high priority to achieve basic equality, are in the Bible Belt, but they're also in other places as well. I mean, Alaska, uh, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri. Shira mentioned that there are 25 of these. So, okay, maybe, yeah. For more, um, yes, for more, go to HRC's site, hrc.org. Catherine Oakley, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Now, coming up next, we've got what's trending this hour. The CDC has released a report that queer people are at greater risk for severe COVID-19. More details on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. 
out on the show, how do you get over situationships? You know, relationships that went nowhere, but you're still clinging on to them. We've all been there. We're here to help. Plus, Biden is finally enforcing the housing discrimination protections for LGBTQ plus Americans. Lambda Legal joins us today to celebrate this big win. But first, let's get into some what's turning this hour. Fox News guest Dave Ramsey tried to give some practical tough love to those in financial hardships. And uh, he basically reacted to the whole stimulus checks. Well, I don't believe in a stimulus check because if $600 or $1,400 changes your life, you were pretty much screwed already. You got other issues going on. Uh, you have a you have a career problem. You have a debt problem. You have a relationship problem. You have a mental health problem. Something else is going on. If $600 changes your life, and that's not talking down to folks. I've been bankrupt. I've been broken. I work with people every day who are hurting. I love people. I want people to be lifted up. But this is again, it is it is just political rhetoric, and it's just throwing dollars out there it's peeing on a forest fire it's absolutely ridiculous so ryan you sent me this clip because you saw i saw it too but i i was like Ugh, why do i need to include this i don't know but i mean he this guy is obviously a bit crazy um dave ramsey is not just yeah. a fox guy but he is a guy who helps people across this country you know find better like financial responsibility and if this person is coming from such a selfish disgusting mind frame of saying that oh if you needed this you're already in a, a crappy place like screw that guy and screw the people for putting him on platforms where he can just like talk bad to people and, and not understand people's like situation, right? It's just disgusting. And it's just those Republican talking points that we hear often that, oh, you know, we basically hate poor people. He helps poor people for a living. People pay him to find their yeah, financial success. Exactly. Like, so it's just like, dude, screw you. This reminds me also of Meghan McCain, where was it like, um, money for moms or, or time off or leave or something like that. Uh, because after she had her baby, she was finally like, now I see why moms need more support, right? Financial support or at least time off. And it's unfortunate that folks only realize that when they're going through it. But he has, he doesn't even realize that. So it's not even the, technically the same thing. He's like basically crapping on anyone who needs a stimulus check because guess what? Our country's in a pandemic and people have lost their jobs. Like, yeah, we don't they have, have much to... bigger problems. <laughs> like, are you they have much me? bigger issues. Right. They're basically, their lives are falling apart. So that's, that's not help at all. Uh, now, today, progressive candidate Michaela Wilkies uh, announced that for the second time, she will challenge one of the most powerful Democrats in the House of Representatives, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, for his seat representing Maryland's 5th District. And along with this announcement, another early yes queen, she also came out as bisexual. Welcome to the community. She said, I'm running unreserved as the person I've always been, a black queer working mom of two who will never give up on fighting for what we deserve. It's time for some damn change. So congratulations uh, to Michaela Wilkies. And finally, uh, gay and bisexual people are more at risk for severe COVID-19. That's according to a new report from the CDC. The study uh, took data from the 2017 to 2019 Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System Wow, that's a mouthful, which showed that members of sexual minority groups were more prone to risk factors that led to worse outcomes from contracting the coronavirus. These risk factors include asthma, stroke, kidney disease, heart disease, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, obesity, smoking, diabetes and hypertension. Yeah. Additionally, studies show LGBTQ plus people like other marginalized groups face greater risks of unemployment and housing discrimination and higher rates of substance abuse 
greater obstacles to medical care, et cetera. We've covered this on our show. Uh, but once again, this report brought it uh, to the spotlight. And so it's important because then it informs future policies and things that obviously need change. And uh, we get to pay attention to this. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Sarah Silverman has responded to backlash over a resurfaced video of her roasting Britney Spears back in 2007. It's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So as we all know, we've talked about it for the past couple of days. Everyone's talking about framing Britney Spears, the New York Times documentary. This has caused fans and viewers to call out certain people who were a part of tearing Britney down at the time. Sarah Silverman. Her speech at the MTV Music uh, Video Awards from over a decade ago has been thrust into the spotlight as an example of it. And I mean, it is honestly so bad that we can't even really play it here. Um, Well, a fan asked her online, because the clip is circulating, to explain what she had to say now about this. And here's what she said. I was known then for roasts. MTV asked me to mini roast Britney after her big performance. While she was performing, I was having diarrhea and going over my jokes. Had no... No idea she didn't kill. Unfortunate art changes over uh, art changes over years as we know more and the world changes. I wish I could delete it, but I can't. But you are posting it for people to see. So are you trying to be kind or right? Oh, hey. Yeah, I hate that response. Girl, you said some awful things. I mean, in this in this clip, she literally calls Britney Spears' children uh, the most beautiful mistakes ever. And it's just, it's awful. It was just another example of, one, how, I mean, lowbrow Sarah Silverman's comedy is. She's not even really that great, in my opinion. She's always saying something problematic from either wearing blackface or, you know, trying to stick up first. It's just disgusting. I'm over her. That's your team report. Oh, I thought you were asking what I think, but it's fine. No. Uh, Let's get into what is next because, you know, we love talking about relationships and dating here. So coming up, a dating coach, an award-winning one, is here to help us all navigate uh, the question, how to get over someone you never dated because we've all been there. So she's here to help next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Romances and flings are easy to invalidate, but grieving over situationships is becoming increasingly common. So why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we torture ourselves with something that wasn't even anything? Or was it? Julie Spira is back with us. She's America's top online dating expert, best-selling author, and uh, award-winning dating coach. Thanks for being here. Hi, Shira. Hi, Ryan. It's Hi. great to be back with you, too. Yes. Yeah. So I think whether you're coupled or you're single, we've all been through this. And even when you're coupled, by the way, you might still be triggered by that person you had this thing with, right? That didn't really transpire to anything real, but it's still there. So I guess first, what is a situationship? Because I this is what this is being referred to. Well, situationship now, it's its the new dating term that's really super common because of the pandemic. And that's when you meet somebody online and maybe you meet them, maybe you're meeting them um, in a chat room. Maybe you're meeting them on, um, you know, on a dating app. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't matter where you meet them. You can meet them on Facebook. You can meet them on social. You could be you know, DMing them in, in, in the Instagram. But you feel like you're in a relationship. And it's never really been defined because you haven't met. And if you haven't met IRL, but you're chatting with somebody every day who's little hearts and roses and this and that, you think you're 
you know, in a relationship. And when they ghost you or they disappear, it's really hard to get over. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shira totally knows what a situation ship was. I said that I've I, been there. I was, to be, I was about to be like, what? Don't come for me. Did you like listen you don't know. to I'm my just, introduction, Ryan? I'm just saying. I feel like you know. I mean, I even benefited from one of your situation ships. You used to buy me food. Um, oh, I remember that. No, we were, that was, that was a phony. It wasn't. It wasn't. You weren't dating. Y'all, it was just weird. Are anyway. You, right. <laughs> I, I don't want to dive into that, but I, I think it is something that feels oftentimes where we're in the gray area, right? Where you're not sure if someone likes you as much as you like them. So how do you kind of get out of that area and feel confident enough to find out if someone actually likes you? Or is that gray area just a confirmation that, oh yeah, they don't like you because they would make it known? Well, you know, with any relationship, it sort of needs to have a flow and it needs to grow. So if you're chatting with somebody and you're DMing with somebody and, and, nothing happens. You don't hop on a video chat. They don't send you flowers. They don't say, hey, let's go on a, on a romantic uh, date online and let's stream the same show. You're just sort of one of many people that they're probably chatting with. Oh. So how do you define the relationship when you're in a situationship? Well, it means you really need to talk about like romance. You know, how do you feel about a romantic relationship and seeing where this could go when we can actually meet IRL? And if they start to backpedal, well, then you're a pen pal. Oh, yikes. Again, Julie Spira is with us, who's America's top online dating expert, dating coach, etc. So I guess once you realize you're in this situation, either you move through it and that person, you can take that next step or you don't. How do you get over that? Because a lot of people, it could get them really stuck for a, a while and stop them from meeting the right person. It really can. It's hard. You have to grieve a situationship. I mean, either you're going to move in together and quarantine together, or you're going to disappear and you're going to feel this void in your life because you sort of counted on those good morning texts and those little XOXOs. And when that's gone and you don't feel this romantic connection with someone that you had hoped could move forward and that you could meet in person and have that super chemistry that you're having online, offline. And if you don't have that, you sort of feel like, oh my gosh, I just lost my hope. And, Mm, and it hurts. And so it's no different than breaking up with somebody that you had a casual relationship with for three months that you actually went out to dinner with once a week. This one sometimes is even worse because it's harder because you have an everyday ongoing relationship. You're in a relationship. It's just that it's not been defined. And when it's over, there's yeah. a void. You feel lonely. You feel like, what did I do wrong? How did I blow it? Also the fantasy. I think you're stuck in the fantasy. You don't have as much closure, at least when you had a casual one or a real one. Like I've experienced that at least. I, I, I know what it was like when you'll never know about this thing. Yeah, but if it starts to become a regular thing for you, isn't that a red flag oh. that maybe you're the issue? Yes, Ryan, great kind of question. <laughs> Means you need to start dating someone that's a different type. <laughs> no, but I mean, pattern. well, I'm saying if you're if you're the person who's constantly getting like heartbroken over a situation like of a person that you're just not seeing the clear flags, does that not mean you're delusional? No, it means that you wow, project to the future. No, I'm just, I'm not I mean, trying to be mean. I'm just, I'm just thinking about that because if you're the common denominator, then you got to do some self reflection. Right. You've got to do, yeah. Self-reflection means self-love. I mean, 15% mm. of singles are buying themselves Valentine's presents this year. So you need to have a really great, solid relationship with yourself and have 
you know, a lot of self-love. People want to be with someone that's confident and not clingy. And maybe you got a little clingy in some of your messages and, you know, somebody just said, hey, that's too much. I'm not really in a relationship with them. But it really goes back down to sort of the fantasy of it all, the fantasy of being finding the one in the perfect rom-com. And if that's your life, life doesn't always work out that way. That is true. Julie Spira, thank you again for being with us. She is America's top online dating expert, award-winning dating coach, and author. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Week. Month. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Wrapping up the show with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. So a lot of folks, a lot of celebrities have been getting engaged during the pandemic. We've got some quarantine love. The latest is Olympic skater Adam Rippin, who posted the announcement on his Instagram announcing his engagement to his boyfriend, Jesse Pekka Kajala. By the way, let me tell you, this guy is a tall hottie from Finland who has a YouTube channel. He's not a big YouTube star. He just has a YouTube channel. I checked it out. Who does uh, have a YouTube channel? I guess that's true. Um, Basically, he wrote this on Instagram. JP and I didn't get to see each other for almost all of 2020 because of the pandemic. When there was finally a chance for me to go and see him in Finland, I jumped at it. I was there for a little over two months. And that's where they did it. Um, He says, in between all of that and binging the entire four seasons of The Crown, we bought ourselves some rings and said that magic word, duh, we got engaged. So they got engaged because they were bored in quarantine? (laughs) Way to take the romance out of it, Ryan. No, I just was happy for them. And isn't it Ripon? Like Ripon? Ripon. Oh, I thought, okay, my bad. I thought it was a little flair. You know how we, us gays love a little flair at the end of our names. Of um, But yeah, this is really, really exciting news. And I think they're going to have a very special Valentine's Day. Oh, that is true. And we are sending our love to the couple. And that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes Queen. Uh-huh. If you want to nominate anyone for our Yes Queen of the Day, hit us up on social media, slide into our DMs at LGT Show. Now, coming up on tomorrow's show, we're here for you as we wrap up this week on Friday. Uh, A wave of violent attacks on Asian Americans is renewing focus on anti-Asian racism, what you need to know and how we can all help and be better allies. Uh, Plus, online scammers are rushing to exploit people desperate to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Man, our world sucks. Let's be better. (laughs) Man, I just realized the two stories you're promoting were really like downers. But it's important to know about this stuff. So we're bringing you all that tomorrow on the show, plus some inspiration, of course. Don't forget that. Uh, you can listen to us live here on Channel Q, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. And we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the radio.com app and search Let's Go There. And that's where you can find us. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for Loveline, where Dr. Chris will be covering how to talk about depression. That's next.